And once you have it, we, we typically go through the Bible verse by verse, um, chapter by chapter, because we don't want to miss any of God's word because it's all good for us. But uh, we're going to divert from our normal study into 1 Corinthians 15. So go ahead and turn to that. It's kind of towards the the back, maybe 10th of your Bible. If you don't know where it is, I'm sure there's somebody near you that can help you out and would love to do that. But go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And while you're turning there, I'm going to kind of just front load um, what we're going to talk about today by asking you a question. Are you guys familiar with the term, or is anyone in here familiar with the term Epicureanism? All right. Kim, tell me what it means. <laughs> okay, but you know the term. All right. That's, that's, that's good. All right. I was going to, I was going to say it anyway. So, I mean, it's all right. Um, so if you don't know what that is, it's a system of philosophy. It's based on the teachings of like a Greek philosopher. His name was Epicurus. And he argued that the main reason for living was to have pleasure in life. Like basically the ultimate purpose of, of life was to make yourself happy. So therefore you should do whatever is needed uh, to the extent of basically not going and having to face consequences that would make things hard. But do whatever you need to to be happy. That's the purpose of life. And one of the main principles of that philosophy is that when you die... There's nothing more. Basically, your your body and your soul, they're all mortal so that when you your life ends, it's terminated. There's nothing after life. So therefore, it's not something that you should consider when living. It's nothing you need to really worry about. We live for the here and now because that's all that matters. And I would imagine it's where the modern term YOLO came from, right? You guys, young people familiar with that? You only live once. That's kind of the same mentality is you only live once. So just live today do whatever you feel like whatever floats your boat now this this frame of thinking is based off of a huge assumption that i think hopefully you would agree with in that if it's wrong it has the potential to not only have consequences for your life here on this earth but consequences for eternity in that it presumes that your life ends at death Therefore, the things you do in this life don't really matter. They have no, they can't have a bearing on something that doesn't go on. That's a pretty big presumption. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. I mean, and, and I would say that it's a serious enough subject that I myself personally wouldn't want any questions about it left unanswered, like to figure out later or to make any assumptions or presumptions. I'd want everything that Basically, I wanted to know about that, whether I there is life after death answered ahead of time so that I didn't make the mistake of wasting my life if it did matter. Would you guys agree with that? And the reason is because under normal circumstances, we're actually going to see one exception today, but under normal circumstances, everyone's going to die, right? You take 100 out of 100 people, they're going to die. It's something that affects all of us. It's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. And I think, though, it's easy for us to kind of gravitate to this living in the here and now mentality because a lot of the times I think that we can kind of look at death as something being off in the future, all right? We think about, well, I've got time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy, I have no major things that are going to affect my life where I'm going to die, and so I can worry about it then. I can figure out these questions later. I don't need to think about this stuff right now. But what I've, in my profession or what I do, I, I, I've been around people when all of a sudden and that changes very quickly because they're faced with death when they weren't expecting it. And I can tell you from that experience that 
when people are faced with death, like at their doorstep, well, they want their questions answered right away. I mean, they start thinking about it pretty quickly. And if we're being honest with ourselves, do we really know what tomorrow holds? I mean, the Bible tells us that. You you don't know. Your life's like a vapor. It's here one moment and it's gone the next. I mean, the the possibility of our life ending is there in front of us, whether we admit it or not, at any single second of our day, right? I mean, sadly, we've had people out on this very road on the way home from church and their lives end. Sadly, in that, you know, like their loved ones had to miss them. But, I mean, in their cases, they knew the Lord and they went to be with him in heaven, which we're going to talk about today, which is the greatest thing for them. But having said that, that's just how quickly your life can end. So, If we're all going to die, which I've established we are, and if we don't know when that is, which we don't, shouldn't this question of what happens after we die be something that, well, I want to figure it out now instead of waiting till later, right? And potentially waiting till it's too late because I wasted a bunch of time doing things that affect what happens after I die because I wasn't trying to answer that question when I should. Would you guys agree? Well, and it just so happens God agrees with you because he gave us his word. God, the creator of the whole entire world, everything you see in the universe, including you, gave us his word so that we didn't have to make any presumptions about these things. He gave us his word so that we could clearly know who he was and the great victory that Jesus, his son, won over death on the cross, what we're going to talk about today, so we could go on to live with him in a perfect place Once we die on this earth for eternity, okay? And how our actions, his word also tells us how our actions on this earth will most certainly affect that eternity. Either determining us going to be with him in that perfect place forever or us us being separated from him in a place the Bible says is an internal place of torment, all right? Which is a pretty serious thing. And so his word is what we're going to use today to touch on some of these truths about death that God has made known to us. So again, we don't leave here with any misunderstandings about God's intent for us as we're living on this earth and what happens after we leave this earth. Amen? And hopefully producing a bunch of hope and joy if you guys do have some questions about those things because the reason, one of the reasons God tells us about this is so we don't have to wonder, we don't have to be afraid, we can have a confident hope and we can be expectant and know that things only get better from here on out. Amen? All right. So I mentioned 1 Corinthians 15 because the apostle Paul who wrote um, this letter to this church of Corinth, a city that some called the center of Epicurean, Curian philosophy, this idea of living for the here and now. He directly dealt with the subject on what happens after we die, which you're going to see him refer to as resurrection. He keeps using this term resurrection, and that's what he's talking about. Basically, what happens after you die. As some of the Christians in this church had come to believe this teaching, this Epicurean philosophy, and thinking that after you died, there was nothing. There was no resurrection. These Christians would say that Amen. It's good to believe in Jesus. It's good to, uh, you know, receive him and, and believe that, understand your need for him to pay the price for your sins on the cross and be forgiven of those. So you're right with God. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't really resurrect from the dead. And so therefore, we're not going to really resurrect because there's nothing after you die. So you might as well just eat, drink and be merry. Just live the way you want to live right now because it doesn't really matter. There's no eternity. So Paul spends this whole chapter correcting this false 
teaching by addressing first the reality of Jesus's resurrection, what we're celebrating today, and then our resulting resurrection as well. I'm going to give you an outline for this whole chapter. We're not going to go through it all, but you guys that are Bible students that study, you might want this. So verses 1 through 11, Jesus or Paul's proving that the resurrection of Jesus was an actual, real, historical event. Not something just made up. It was witnessed by hundreds of people. And then uh, in verses 12 through 34, he proves how because Jesus was resurrected, we're going to be resurrected too, or we're going to live after we die. Then in verses 35 through 49, he talks about a real exciting subject, what our resurrected bodies are going to be like, because they're not going to be like they are here, where they're susceptible to sickness and getting old and hurting. And so he talks about that. And then finally, the section we're going to be in today, verses 50 through 58, he addresses why it's so important to understand this resurrection that he's talking about. So let me read the text first. We're going to be in verses 50 through 58, and then I'll pray and then we'll start going through it. So he says, Paul says here to this church of Corinth in verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Dear Lord God, we're so thankful even as we read these very words, just to be reminded of what's to come for us that have placed our faith in you, Jesus. That one day these perishable bodies will be changed and transformed as quick as an eye can blink. And we will be in these glorified, resurrected bodies that are, as you say, immortal, imperishable. We won't have to deal with the, the hardships that we face in this life that seem like forever when we're going through them, they seem really hard. But we know when we're eternity, literally forever, it will seem like just a momentary light affliction, as you say. And we know that none of those afflictions are wasted. You're using them all. For our good. Not all things are good, but you've promised to work them all for our good. And all this has been achieved through you, Jesus, what you did for us on the cross. So as we study this, I pray that the same hope you were trying to produce in this church that you're writing to, who had lost sight of this truth, you produce the same hope in us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this section of scripture where Paul's telling the church why it's important to understand the resurrection or that we're going to live after we die, there's something more after death, 
He focuses on the victory that Jesus won over death at the cross. And there's three main points that I see Paul conveying to the readers in this passage that we're going to look at and discuss today. And if you're a note taker, go ahead and write these down, all right? So in verses 50 through 53, he discusses why the victory over death was necessary. In verses 54 through 57, he discusses how the victory over death was won. And then in the last verse, verse 58, he discusses how this victory over death should affect our lives. Starting in verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood, that's what our present bodies are made out of, okay, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We, he's talking to believers here, Christians, those that have placed their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we shall not all sleep. The idea is die. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we, or the Christians that are still alive, shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So Paul's telling these believers here that the resurrection is important to understand because our bodies here on earth are not suitable for where we're going to go after we die. And as such, there has to be an exchange that happens when we go from living here on this earth, when we physically die, and we go to be in eternity, all right? He talks about that as, or he describes it as the perishable changing to the imperishable or the mortal changing to the immortal. Just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, just as when they went to the tomb to look for him after he died three days later and that stone was rolled away, what did they find? He wasn't there. And then he appeared to them, right? And he still had like the holes in his hands, like they, like, like he, they could touch him. He was like physically there, yet he could still walk through walls. He was resurrected. He had a new resurrected glorious body the same thing is going to happen to us as well one day then he goes on to make this mystery known to them in verses 51 through 52 now understand if you're newer to the bible a mystery is something that you would not have known had god not made it known to you all right and the bible is full of those things i love it i was talking to a a brother the other day who's kind of newer to the lord in the last year And he was just saying, I had all these questions through life. And it seems like every time I open up my Bible and every time I'm here listening, those questions are being answered. That's why God gave us his word. All right. And he reveals these mysteries to us. And this mystery is that not every believer is going to end up dying as there's going to be an event at some time in history where there is going to be a trumpet sound and all the bodies of those that have already died uh, are going to be raised to life somehow. Their souls are going to be with Jesus already because the, body, the Bible makes it clear to be absent of the bodies to be present with the Lord. So the moment you die, your soul goes to be with him. But their bodies are going to be raised. And then the bodies of believers who are still alive are going to be raised. And they're going to be instantly transformed. Like at the blink of a twinkling of an eye, like as quick as you can blink, they're going to change. And they're going to go to be with the Lord forever. All right? Amen? This is what a lot of theologians call the rapture, right? And there's a lot to be said about that. But in essence, it's where Jesus comes to bring his church to be with him. Paul talks about it in more detail in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. We don't have time to break it down. 
There's a good teaching on just that online. If you guys want, I can point you in that direction. But all that to say is that's the event he's talking about. But what, what I want you to understand is what Paul's making clear here, very clear, is that life doesn't stop after death, right? On the contrary, for the believer, it's when things start really getting good. Because it's when we get to start fully experiencing this victory Jesus has won for us, all right? So this leads to that first question I want to answer, and that is why Jesus' victory over death was necessary. Because here's the thing. Our eternal God says in Genesis 1 that you were made in his image, all right? So what that means is just like he's eternal, you were made to live in an eternal relationship with him, all right? To know him personally, but here's the thing, our sin messed that up. We're all born with a tendency to do what we want in this life or what we think will bring us pleasure or make us happy, okay? That's why this Epicurean philosophy appeals to all of us. Because we're already born with this tendency to want to do that. Though the big problem with that is that what we want for ourselves doesn't always line up with what God wants for us. All right? No more than my young kids, what I want for them always lining up with what they want for themselves. All right? Why do we make that? Why do we disagree with our kids sometimes on what's best for them? That's right. And, and we're not perfect like God. We're not trying to say that. But we have lived through experience and understood these things are not good and these things are good. And we love you and we only want good for you, right? Even to a greater degree, that's how God is. Because he doesn't make mistakes. He knows absolutely what is best for you. He sees your past, present, and future, has a perfectly good plan for you, as God's word tells us. And he wants to lead you into that, okay? So, God's made us. He knows what's best for us. He, he knows that we have this tendency to want what's not good for us. And, 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 and like, you know, wanting to make ourselves happy and then not being able to understand or, or, or have enough wisdom and knowledge like he does to understand what's good and what's bad. And then we have this nature to do what's wrong. And God's word calls that sin. And that sin separates us from God who is perfectly right. Or the, the Bible uses the term righteous. which basically means he's right in everything he does. He's incapable of making mistakes because he's God. He knows all things. He's perfect in all ways. And the fact that he's perfect means that he needs to be just in all of his actions. All right? Now, the idea with that is him being perfectly just is he can't be in the presence of sin without dealing with it justly. Let's think of it this way. If somebody committed an unjust act against you, they broke the law, they did something illegal, your expectation is that they would have to pay the penalty for that, that injustice, right? That's justice being carried out. They broke into your house. Here's the penalty for that crime. They should have to pay that, that penalty, all right? That's, it's kind of the same thing. And so sin is actually a crime committed directly against God in his word. And the just penalty for sin is death, according to Romans 6.23. And before you say like, man, that's really harsh. If you want to know why the world is so messed up and keeps getting more messed up by the day and there's just atrocities and horrible evil things that you're like, what is happening? 
That's sin. That's the result of sin. Sometimes we, you know, people say, well, like, if God's so good, why is he allowing this to happen? God's not responsible for that stuff. It says in the word, he's not the author of evil. That's what sin does. Sin destroys you, it destroys others, and God hates it because of that. Because it's not his will. It's disobedience to God. He gave us free will because he didn't want a bunch of robots. He wanted a loving relationship with you. And so he gave you the choice to either listen and follow him and know him or disobey. And we've chosen to disobey, okay? That's the bad news, all right? But Paul's addressing this this death that comes from sin. Basically, that's the penalty for death. That's why death came into this world. And he's addressing it in this passage, calling our bodies perishable, which I shouldn't need to explain that in great detail. Would you agree your body is perishable, all right? I used to think I was indestructible, even though I really wasn't. But then I hit 40 and everything that started going wrong. I swear, I just tweaked my back, bending down for my water bottle right before I came up here. All right. That's just how it goes. All right. But we're perishing. Our bodies are frail. All right. But to enter eternity, he's kind of proving how no, your body's got to be replaced. And that's God's intent. It's going to be made imperishable. And that just sounds great to me. No more pain. No more sickness, no more aging or injury. All right, that's what's coming. But if sin isn't dealt with in this life, this separation that it's created with God, that will carry over to eternity, all right? Which God doesn't want. So sin had to be dealt with and conquered. Victory had to be won over it. And God knowing there was no way at all that any of us could do that in our own strength did what needed to be done so that we could be completely forgiven of our sin and justified of it. Just as if you had no sin is what that word means. All right. And reconciled to him, which leads to the next question. How was this victory won for us? Paul gives us the answer in the following verses. He says in verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through who? Jesus Christ, right? So Paul makes it clear here that once this transformation of us getting our resurrected bodies takes place, death is gone forever. It's no longer that's going to be like something looming in the future. Okay? He actually uses this taunt for the believer in verse 55, right? He's like taunting death because in a Christian's life, it's got no power over them anymore. As soon as you place your faith in Jesus... Death is not something to be feared, right? And he goes on to explain in, in, in this passage the second question I want to answer, and that is how this victory was won for us over death. How? Through Jesus. Through his death and resurrection, the very thing we're celebrating this weekend. There, there are two specific aspects of the victory that Paul focuses on in verse 56. Number one, death's ability to hurt you is a result of sin. And then number two, Sin's power to condemn you because of the law. Okay, now, if you're newer to church, the law is in God's word. It's given to us in the Old Testament. And basically, the reason for it to be given, it's, it's basically all the things God says are good and all the things he says are wrong and bad and, and what is right and, and what is evil. And what why it's there is to prove to us that we're guilty of sin because basically what it shows us is no matter how hard we try, how good we think we are, 
in some way or another, we fall short of keeping that law. We break it, okay? Every single one of us. And there's no like sliding scale, like as far as sin. Sin is sin. If you're guilty of one sin, then you're guilty of all of it as far as God's concerned because you're unjust. And he has to deal with it, all right? So, in essence, his law shows us our need to be saved from our sinfulness as we can never save ourselves. And so God, because of his great love for us, that's what John 3.16 tells us, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Because of his great love for us, he was willing to do what we couldn't. But it came at a great cost to him. Because the only suitable sacrifice that could truly pay the just price for all the sins of mankind was someone that was truly sinless themselves, which none of us could do. The Bible says not one is sinless. No person could be sinless, all right? So he sent his son, Jesus, who came humbly, being born as a baby, but also miraculously being born through a virgin, and he being fully a man, but also equal with God, being the son of God, was able to do what you and me could never do. And that was live a sinless life. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, because of that, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Or Jesus was able to take upon himself all of our sins because he had no sins of his own. And on that cross that he was unjustly hung on, the judgment that our sin deserved was paid for in full. He said so himself in John 19.30 where he declared with his last breath, it is finished. But three days later, he proved he was God and that death had no power over him because he resurrected from the grave, appearing to his disciples and many others as Paul shares at the beginning of this chapter before he ascended up to heaven to be with the Father until the point he comes back to get his church. Amen? All right, and because of that great victory, Jesus won over sin and death of the cross. Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. You see, the law, Paul mentions in verse 56, only has power to condemn you if you need to follow it to be right with God. But since Jesus paid the just penalty for all the times you have and you will break the law in your life, you're no longer condemned of your sin, but rather forgiven of it if you acknowledge your need for Jesus to save you from it. And if you're saved from your sin, then you're no longer subject to the ability of death to hurt you. He's taken that sting out of it. It's as if there was this bee flying around in here and you're one of those people that's deathly allergic to it. What God did was grab that bee and let it sting him and took that ability for it away for to kill you, to hurt you. That's what Jesus did on that cross. And when the cause of sin was defeated, which was the law, so was the result of sin with it, death. And now through faith in Jesus, you can have a relationship with God and confidently know that you're going to live with him for all eternity. Okay? Yes, that's worth an applause. That's the good news. So because of that, for the believer, death has become very much something not to dread, 
We don't look forward to it in a morbid way. We want to be faithful with our lives while we're here on this earth. But we know that that's when things start looking up, right? This is as bad as it ever gets for us. And it's just a, a, a tiny moment compared to eternity where we're going to be with him and things are going to be made right and perfect. Amen. So we look forward to that day now. But for the unbeliever, it's still very much not a friend because if the victory over sin and death is only through our Lord Jesus Christ, as it says there in verse 56, and you've not placed your faith in him to save you from your sin, then in essence, you've willingly chosen to remain separated from God into eternity. And the reality is that will very much sting. Okay? The Bible tells us that those who make that choice will also be resurrected, but they will be resurrected into a place that's referred to as hell, that is a place of eternal torment, because most certainly you will have to live every day of eternity not being able to deny your sin anymore, but fully being aware that, you are wrong and having to live with that guilt of knowing that you are and that you had every opportunity to be forgiven of it while you were alive on this earth. And these truths about death and what happens after it should radically affect how we approach our lives in the here and now, which is what Paul addresses in this very last verse. He says, therefore, or because of this, brothers and sisters, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He says, because of this, knowing, because of knowing what is coming, because of knowing that everything you do here will matter in eternity, you should be immovable, like standing firm without changing direction. You should be steadfast, like consistently always abounding, like the idea is having a bunch of work in the Lord. Knowing that there's a whole lot of things in this world that you can do that absolutely will be in vain. But everything you do for him, or I, I, let me correct myself, not for him, in him. I love that distinction. Because we're not doing it for him. We're doing it with him. Because we're the ones that are blessed and we can't do it apart from him. But everything you do with the Lord, as you surrender your life over to him, None of it's going to be in vain. It's all going to matter in eternity. All right. And that's the third question I want to answer. How the victory Jesus has won for us should affect our lives. Knowing where our final destination is. Knowing that everything you do in this life will matter when you get there. All right. That leaves you only one logical direction to head in. In your life. And that's straight to Jesus. Amen. That's the only logical direction to go straight to Jesus and let him lead you in that victory he won on the cross for you. All right. We can make the mistake of spending a whole bunch of our lives doing things in vain. I see that over and over again in my life. Stuff that ends up mattering not put a lot of effort into it. It amounts to nothing or working towards something that I thought I really wanted or needed and getting it and just knows nothing that I was expecting and what I was, all the effort I put into it. And if we're not careful to keep our focus on eternity, that'll be a problem even for a Christian. 
All right? You can still go on doing that, even before you know Jesus. Actually, Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 12, 16 through 21. He says, then he's telling his disciples a parable, a story, to teach them this principle. He says, then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you've you've got enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Just the mentality of not thinking about the future, not considering eternity. And just like, I'm just going to live for the day. I'm going to do whatever I want, whatever I enjoy, whatever makes me happy. He says in verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night and then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. I like that distinguish it. He's not saying that it's, it's sinful to be wealthy, but if you have a rich relationship with God, that's the better thing. And you'll use that for him. His whole idea in this is living for the Lord. Not living for the things on this earth that are all going to burn away with it when it goes. But living for the things that you're going to actually enjoy in heaven. Not the things that you're not going to take with you. You know, we can spend a whole bunch of time in our life being fearful of failure failure or failing at things. Not getting the things we want. But really, if you think about it, the greater fear should be spending all your life going after things that don't really matter at all. And we all can be susceptible to that mistake. And that's why Paul's saying, have this right thinking. Understand what is coming. Understand what Jesus has won for you. Because this is where you're truly going to be satisfied. This is where your hope or your sure expectation of good. This is not going to disappoint you. This is where your joy is going to be. This is where your peace is going to be. And as the worship team comes back up here, I just sense that this is the lord's reminder for us this is the good news amen Amen. because without this hope we truly are directionless if you think about it i mean we think we have a million directions to go and and we can do that we can busy ourselves in our lives with all these different things we're trying to achieve every all these different things we think we need or we want that are going to make us happy they're going to make us satisfied and usually what that does is just busy myself into depression discouragement disappointment When Jesus has made it really simple, he's given us one direction. Go to him. That's all that matters. I made you to know me. And I loved you so much, I did everything that needed to be done to ensure that that could happen. So choose to come to me. And even in the midst of all the hard things that you'll face in this life, because he was honest about that. Jesus didn't say, oh, Get saved and everything's going to be hunky-dory and going to be easy. No, that's not what he said. He said, you're going to have tribulation in this life, but take heart or take courage. I've overcome this world. This is what he means. The moment you place your faith in him, you're not a part of this world. It doesn't have the final say on your destiny. It doesn't have the final say on anything in your life. I do. I've taken the sting out of death. I've taken the pain away. Yes, it'll hurt, but I'm here to comfort you. And I'm here to tell you that you can even have hope amongst the pain because I'm going to use it for your good. 
Paul makes this statement in Second Corinthians where he compares the things we go through that are hard in this life. He calls them a momentary light affliction. Now, they don't feel that way when you're going through them. But he's, he compares it to the eternal weight of glory that's being prepared to you through the hard things that you face in this life. He says these momentary light afflictions are preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. So when you get there, then you'll see and then you'll understand. But I just love how Jesus has simplified things for us. It's not about this, that. It's not about living for here and today. It's about living for him. And every single person in this place has the ability to do that. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 30 years or if you're somebody that's hearing this good news for the first time, every one of us needs to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded daily, not just on Resurrection Sunday because it's so easy to kind of lose track, lose focus, get caught up in all these other things and let us take, try to, the enemy try to take us down with the rest of the world. When the Lord, when he was lifted up, he's lifted you up. You've already been brought into this new life with Jesus. And one day you physically will be resurrected and that'll be fully completed. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend um, some remaining moments and just continuing to praise the Lord for this good news. But also we'll have our prayer team around the room. And I'd encourage you guys. If you're somebody here visiting today and this is the first time you've heard this good news or maybe you've heard it before. I had I, I remember when I got I got saved pretty miraculously when I was in my twenties in college and I'd heard the good news before but I wasn't really listening. But the night I heard it and believed in Jesus, I, I listened and I understood and I knew that man, my life is messed up and I'm not finding the fix for it in anything I'm trying. It's all broken, it's all disappointing, and I don't know why, but I know I need Jesus. He did that for me, and I need that. That's what I'm looking for, and I received him, and I never looked back. And that can be you today. That can be your story, too. God did everything that needed to be done, so that can be you. And you can call out to him today and ask him to forgive you of your sin. Tell him you need him to be Lord of your life. We'll have people around the room to pray with if you want help in doing that. Sometimes that can be a little, you don't know what to say. Well, we have brothers and sisters that want to rejoice with you in making that choice and we can lead you in a prayer. Maybe you're somebody that you know the Lord, but you just, that that's a word for you and you understand that, yeah, I, I'm still in that place of like just feeling unfulfilled and discouraged and I realize it's because I'm looking to other things in this world when I need to be looking to him and what's coming. I, I, I need to be stop these all these directions I'm going in trying to get something that I can only find in Jesus. And I need to, in a sense, just narrow in on that. And I'd like prayer. Come up and get prayer. We'll pray with you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for this, for your willingness. Nobody made you, as we talked about last week, nobody made you go to that cross. You went willingly. Because as your word says, because you loved us. Sometimes we struggle with feeling loved. And it's such a lie from the enemy because the God that created us loves us undoubtedly. 
Your word says you loved us when we were at our worst, when we were still sinners. That's when you demonstrated your love for us. That's when you saved us. As you were being crucified on that cross, you said that was our sin that nailed you there. And you said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We have no reason to doubt your love. You've more than demonstrated it in your death on that cross. And Lord, we would be foolish not to receive you into our lives through this free gift you've offered us. And if we're being honest, we, we understand. We, we know we're, we have this tendency to think we know best. To in a sense want to deny this truth because we want to go on just doing the things that make us happy. Even though if we're being honest, we know that they're harmful and they're wrong and we shouldn't be doing them. I pray that anyone struggling with that right now would just in faith, as your word says, trust that their creator knows better than they do and acknowledge their need for you to save them, Lord. And that you would come into their lives and reveal yourself to them. In Jesus' name.